0: Um, If I've not had a chance yet to meet you, my name is Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as the senior pastor here as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us, whether you're here in the building or whether you're worshiping online. If you're worshiping online and have not been here in person, we'd love for you to come and worship with us in the building some Sunday morning as the Lord provides an opportunity for you to do so um we would love for you to be able to fill out the connection card um so that we can uh get to know you better get you some information about the church and then on the back side there's a place where you can mark down prayer requests and there's also places to indicate any spiritual decisions that you may be making um after the service is over with i'll be out in the entryway would love a chance to meet uh you if you and i have not had a chance to meet in the past and obviously if there's something you need to chat about i'm available as well don't forget that we have um, a Super Bowl party tonight. I don't really know why. I mean, we're, the Cowboys aren't playing, so it really doesn't really matter. But you know, if you want to go ahead and come, no. We are having Super Bowl party tonight, and the party starts at 5 o'clock. We'll be all downstairs. We'll be in this room. We'll also be down in the children's worship space. Um, I would ask you to bring some food with you, just some party food. You don't have to bring a casserole. You don't have to bring, you know, uh, green beans or whatever. Just some kind of party food that you would uh, enjoy at a Super Bowl party. And if you could, bring enough to share with some others as well. If you are interested, I know we got some Chiefs fans over here trying to let me know. It does matter. I mean, the reason it matters is because the quarterback, I don't know if you ever heard of him or not, he came from my high school. So anything that is good about him probably is because I trained him, right? But anyway, No uh so uh if you want to bring games you can like i'm coming to watch the game but if you want to play some board games bring them with you and we can use those volleyball is going to be open to play um and so all of lots of things are going to be happening you can just sit and visit with your church family it's good to be together right and um at halftime. There'll be a short uh, worship time together uh, with some singing and about a two or three minute uh, devotional thought uh, on God's word. So invite your friends. It's going to be a good time tonight at five o'clock here at the building. All right. We are starting a new series today. Like we finished up the book of Acts and now we are moving to the Old Testament and the book is Micah, so uh, I'm excited about how God's going to move us through the book of Micah. Hopefully when you came in, you picked up a worship guide, and you'll see the new logo for the book of Micah. We'll talk about it in just a moment, and uh, there's a place on the back of that to take notes as we go through. Also, when you came through, you should have received a Micah reference guide, and I, I'd encourage you to have both of these handy, accessible, and I'll explain both of them. And then if you did not receive one, maybe you're worshiping online or you came in and you didn't grab one or whatever, if you're here in the building, uh, when we dismiss, there are still some of these available out on the welcome table, which is out in the entryway. And then if you're at home and you're not able to be here today, come next week and we'll get you a copy, all right? So hopefully you'll have both of these as we kind of walk through it. I'd encourage you to go ahead and grab a Bible. Uh, There should be a Bible near you if you didn't bring one with you, uh, under a chair, somewhere around you. Feel free to keep that. That's our gift to you if you need a Bible or you know somebody who does need one. We're going to be in the Old Testament book of Micah. If you need to go to the table of contents, you can, um, but uh, there's no shame in that game. And you can find the book of Micah It's in the last 12 books of the Old Testament. Um, It's a short book. It's got seven chapters, uh, but I encourage you to turn to the book of Micah. As you do that, I want to kind of set this up a little bit. The Old Testament... Is, uh, in fact, it came up in our equipment class this morning. The Old Testament is basically divided into different categories. Loosely, it's based on this. The books of the law, uh, there's some history, there's some wisdom literature, and then there are the prophets, And so the last 12 books of the Old Testament are the Minor Prophets. It starts in Hosea and finishes in Malachi. And the reason it's called Minor Prophets is not because they're not as important as Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel. It's just that they're called Minor, M-I-N-O-R, because they are shorter in length. Um, And honestly... The uh, prophets, especially, uh, well, actually any of them, are sometimes seen as the least popular books for Christians to read, and the reason is because at times they have unusual language. It has lots of warnings. There's laughter there, and it's like a lot of times there is, right? There's warnings and condemnations and judgment. Uh, Who wants to read about that, right? And then there's places and cities and people groups that maybe you're unfamiliar with. Additionally, I found an interesting quote from Martin Luther, and here's what Martin Luther said about the prophets. They have a strange way of talking, like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next, so that you cannot make head nor tail of them or see what they are getting at. Now, obviously, Martin Luther's not saying that we can't. He's just saying with natural eyes, it's sometimes hard to follow the prophets. And therefore, sometimes we avoid them. But the reality is this. Whenever we dive into the minor prophets, specifically Micah, as we look at this series, you're going to, we are going to find out more about the character of God. Whenever we study God's Word, our starting point should not be ourselves. We're talking about that in my equipping class this year, this semester. The starting point of studying God's Word is not ourselves. The starting point of studying God's Word is the character of who God is. And the only way I understand who I am is if I first understand who God is. And so I encourage you that as we walk through this, that you push yourself to understand the character of God a bit more so that we can step out and faith and action based on the things that we learn here. Today we start this new series on Micah and you can see right here on the screen as well as your worship guide and on the reference guide that there are tons of words here and the reality is there are two sets of words. They just repeat themselves on this graphic and the reason they repeat themselves on this graphic is because they repeat themselves throughout the book. And you'll see the lighter color is kind of what we would see as negative words, and the bolder, uh, brighter color is the things that we would see more positively, right? We're going to look at those in just a moment, but before we jump into those words and into the study of the book of Micah, I want us to first start today by understanding Micah. We're seeking to understand Micah. In fact, if you would look at your worship guide, the sermon title this morning is Understanding Micah. And in order to do that, this morning we're going to read one verse. I promise you, you're like, "Oh my goodness, I know what Cameron's thinking." Cameron already is thinking, "Oh my goodness, Alan, there's there's 300 verses in, I don't know how many there are. Verses in Micah, are you going to take 300 weeks to preach it?" Absolutely not, Cameron. Rest assured, I do have a plan, but I think for us to really get on the right footing, to understand the entire book of Micah, we really have to focus on some things in verse 1. So look with me at Micah chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. See, I told you places come up that you've never heard of maybe. Uh, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. As I said, as you came in this morning, you should have received this reference guide. And we're going to have some of the images on the screen in just a moment. And I would encourage you that you would use this reference guide today and any other day to kind of keep up with where the story of Micah is going, to be reminded of things, I would encourage you to use this as a Bible marker, a book marker in the book of Micah. Just place it there when you get done this morning, and you'll have it as you study it during the course of the week or as you study it on Sunday mornings. There's also a little place to take additional notes. I realize it's not a huge amount of space, but maybe you'll find that beneficial. So I'm going to start by showing you a couple of things from that. So I'm going to ask them to go ahead and show that first image And you're going to see a portion of uh, this card. Nope, the first image, the other one. There we go. Thank you, thank you. Nope, not that one. The other first one. That first one. Thank you very much. All right, there we go. All right, yeah. All right, so there we go. So I want us to stay on this card for just a second. Leave that up until I say I'm done with that. So the name Micah, the starting point, we need to understand the name Micah has a meaning, And it's important for us to see it. And we'll talk more about it in just a moment. But let's start by just seeing what it means. It means, who is like Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh? Which is the name for God, all right? The next thing on that slide that you're going to see is you're going to see the divided kingdom of Israel. And I want to kind of walk through this and as it's on the screen, understand what took place to get us to the divided kingdom. Here's what took place. Perhaps you're familiar with the first three kings of Israel. Probably you are. You've probably heard the names Saul, David, and Solomon. Those three guys were the first kings of Israel, okay? But after Solomon, we have a split that happens in the kingdom, and now the one kingdom becomes two kingdoms. The year was about 930 B.C., When there was discord that happened among the 12 tribes, there's 12 tribes of Israel. I'm sure you don't know what it's like to have family squabbles, right? But there were squabbles that happened among the clans and the tribes of Israel. And because of that, and because of some political unrest, and if I told you everything I would tell you about it, then we'd have like 14 sermons this morning. So I'm just going to leave it to suffice it to say that the reason the kingdom split into two is because the tribes were squabbling. And part of that was political unrest as well. So in the year 930 B.C., the the kingdom of Israel split. So you can see on the screen there... You have the southern kingdom and you have the northern kingdom. Please take note of the names because it can get confusing if you don't keep that in mind. Because look, it's the divided kingdom of Israel and yet one of those kingdoms is called Israel. So when you read the name Israel, sometimes it's for the whole people of God and sometimes it's about the northern kingdom. So you got the southern kingdom, which is obviously in the south, and it's referenced by its name Judah, one of the tribes that were there in the south. Judah, and the capital city is Jerusalem. Then in the northern kingdom, you see there that it says Israel or Ephraim. Ephraim is one of the tribes that was in the north, one of the stronger tribes in the north. So sometimes you'll see Ephraim, and it's not just that tribe, but it's the whole northern kingdom of Israel. Do you see how this gets confusing? So sometimes you'll see, uh, you really in the Bible won't see northern kingdom. That's just for us to understand which one we're talking about. But in the Bible you'll see sometimes it's called Israel, sometimes you'll see it's called Ephraim or Ephraim, right? The capital city there is Samaria, all right, so that 's what 's going on here. I promise that I will preach the text of Micah, but for us to understand the text of Micah, we have to understand the background or the context of where we 're coming from for it to make the most sense possible in the, In the south, you have two tribes: you have Benjamin and Judah. You figure Judah because that 's the name of the of the southern kingdom. And then in the northern kingdom, you have all the other ten tribes. There's ten tribes uh, that are not Benjamin and Judah, and those all make up the northern tribe, uh, kingdom. So you can see it's a bit confusing as we walk through. The kings that were mentioned in Micah chapter 1 verse 1 are now listed there on the screen. You have Jotham, you have Ahaz, and you have Hezekiah. Because of um, historians not just bible historians but historians in general we're pretty confident that those dates are pretty solid give or take a year or whatever but these are the rough starting dates. this is not when they live this is when they reigned. so jotham was king from 742 to 735 and on down the list right these three men were all kings of judah judah is which kingdom the north or south South all right i 'm just trying to make sure we 're making sense right I know it 's on the screen it 's on it 's the cheat sheet right, and where 's the capital in the southern kingdom of Judah Jerusalem right okay, so there we go all right, so um, all of that 's important for us to see now if we 'll go to the other image, not the map but the other image, it will show you the rest of thank you sir it 'll show you the rest of the reference guide that you have, and uh, on this you 're going to see some important dates to remember. Remember how, and it's on your sheet, so you can look at your sheet to see those dates, but I gave you the dates the kings were in power, and now here are some other dates, and you can see how these dates are contemporary with what's going on in the life of Micah and the recording that Micah puts down. So in the year 722 BC, we have the fall of Samaria, which means the, which nation is that, the north or south? Samaria. North, right. The northern kingdom fell to the uh, country of Assyria, right? And so they're then taken into exile. And then you have the year 701 B.C., which is going to be vital to what takes place in the book of Micah. In the year 701 B.C., Assyria comes in, and they have a siege around the city of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem does not crumble, but rather it withstands that attack, all right? And then in uh, 586 or 587, Depending on which scholar you read, it's sometimes 586 and sometimes 587. You'll probably hear me say one date or the other. I don't even know which one I prefer to say. But somewhere around 586, 587, Jerusalem, which is which, north or south? South. It fell to Babylonia, and then they're taken into captivity. So there's there's some key dates. All of those dates are going to play into the book of Micah. The first two dates happen while Micah is, is proclaiming his message. The last one he projects into as far as his prophecy is concerned, all right? So um, we're going to look at the recurring theme and the units in a moment. Let's now look at the map. Now we're going to get to the map. I feel like Dora. Doesn't she talk about the map? Like, all right, there we go. All right, sorry, sorry. All right, so this is black print you may not be able to see, but you see up north is the kingdom of Israel. Down south, the kingdom of Judah. You may not be able to see in the back, but that's a star, and that's a star. And the reason is because that's the capital city of Samaria. That's the capital city of Jerusalem. Up here is the Sea of Galilee. This water is the Jordan River. This is the Dead Sea. This over here is the Mediterranean Sea. And this area right here would be the Gaza Strip area, okay? So all of this is modern-day Israel, but this is northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah, and then some over on this side of the Jordan. And then you've got some key towns, and I'm going to point to this one. This is Lakish, and there's Jerusalem. A moment ago, we said that um, Micah was from morsheth and it is somewhere halfway between Jerusalem and the coast, and that means it's about 25 miles away. It's right about where that dot is, about six miles from Lakeish. That is where um, uh, Micah is from. Now, I just wanted us to kind of see all of these things. So, now, let's get back to Micah 1-1. That's some of the background that hopefully will begin to help us understand Micah going forward. Keep that reference guide because you'll want to have it there as a reminder as we go through this series. Um, so although Michael 1.1 is just an introduction, it is vital to understand some answers, some questions that it answers, right? So on your notes, there are some questions it's on your sermon notes, not on your guide. And on that, the first question is, who is the source of the message? So I'm going to just read a section and we don't have to put verse one up there because you can just listen to it. It's also hopefully on your Bible right there. Here is how verse 1 begins. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord answers that first question. That first question is who is the source of the message? The answer is the Lord. The word of the Lord, this is a common formula that's used to indicate that a book is a prophetic book. If you go to many of the minor prophets, something like that is going to be said to indicate that these words are not words of a human, but rather it's a collection that a human is sharing that are actually the prophetic messages or words of the Lord. Uh, Another word that you sometimes will hear is oracle. Oracle means the word of God. And and so in this, it's a collection of of sayings or words from God. And so therefore, the source of the message is God himself. And if you are, depending on which translation you have, in the ESV, the word Lord, it's not in this. Oh, yeah, it is. It looks different back there than it does up here. Sorry. Uh, The word Lord is all caps, right? And so, if you see it's all caps, that's because it is the Hebrew word Yahweh, and Yahweh is God's self-revealed name. Do you remember when He met uh, Moses, and Moses was like, "Who do you? Who do I say is sending me?" And He goes, "Tell him I am. I am is the word Yahweh." the word Lord. It's the name that he revealed about himself. It means to be. That is who God is. And the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, do not pronounce that name unless they add what is referred to, and I know this is kind of adding something else to it, vowel points. And if they do, then they end up saying something like Jehovah. They don't normally say Yahweh because it's such a reverent word that you can read it, but you don't even pronounce it because that's who God is. It's the proper name of the one true God. And all of this means that everything we're going to read in Micah, moving forward, has great gravity. The sovereign, all-powerful creator, the one and only revealed God himself, Yahweh, is the one who is giving this message, all right? Don't see this as Micah's words. No, these are the words of God. In fact, in our D group, we're talking about how when you read prophets, sometimes it's hard to see where God's talking and where the prophet's talking because the reality is the prophet is just a tool or a mouthpiece of what God is saying, right? So these are the words of God. The next question, who delivered the message? So I'm going to pick up in verse 1 again that came to Micah of Moresheth. So to answer the question, who delivered the message? The answer is Micah of Moresheth. While these words are God's, he chose to use a human to project them or proclaim them or prophesy or deliver them to the people. God could have spoken in an audible voice to the nation of Israel and Judah but rather what he chose to do was to speak directly to Micah who then took that message for others to hear right and so Micah is the one who is the human vessel that God uses do you remember what Micah's name means it's very important for us to remember this it's on your cheat sheet and the reference guide and the answer to the question of what Uh, Micah's name means is who is like Yahweh and so God is using Micah to deliver the message and yet in the midst of using a human vessel he's using him to point back to himself as to who he is does that make sense like, God wants us to see who he is. This is not some dry, dusty piece of material that we're trying to understand about, oh my goodness, Alan, you lost me in the year 586 or 587. I, don't, I can't even picture what that was like. The reality is this, God wants us to see who he is. And even in the name of Micah, his messenger, he declares that. So this question of who is like Yahweh is a theme of the book. We're going to discover who God is and what God is like and because of that we're going to see how we're to live our lives based on who he is he came from Morsheth like why is that pronounced there We don't know for sure, but perhaps the reason it's there is just a way to say, hey, Micah's not from Jerusalem. Yes, Micah's in Jerusalem presenting the message of God, but he's not originally from here. He's down the road, right? And so he came from a small village, a, a little city, a little town, a little bump in the road. In fact, we don't even know exactly, exactly where it was because it wasn't all that significant of a place. But that's where he's from. Here's the next question. When was the message delivered? This is important because if we're going to understand the message, we have to understand the context or the time period that it was delivered. So the question is, when was it delivered? The rest of verse 1 goes from there. In the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. To narrow the dates. On your cheat sheet, you can see that means it was not written before the year 742. And it was not written after the year 687. Micah was not alive during that whole time frame. He was alive during a portion of that time. Based on the context clues in the book of Micah, it appears that the bulk of what he writes about comes from the year 750 to 701. Anybody know why 701 is important? Do you remember what we said about 701? 701 is when the city of Jerusalem is, is uh, besieged, Right? And there's this impending threat from Assyria as they come into Jerusalem. And so we're going to see that revisited in the book of Micah. All right? So that's kind of where, and it's also after Samaria has been taken captive, right? Um, it seems that the majority of his messages came during the, king, uh, the, the reign of King Hezekiah. We're not going to turn to this verse, but I'd encourage you to write down your notes and read it later. Turn uh, at some point today to jeremiah chapter 26 verse 18 jeremiah 26 18 because in jeremiah 26 18 is the king hezekiah and in jeremiah 26:18 is the prophet micah so we know for sure that he has a direct encounter with hezekiah because it's recorded in jeremiah chapter 26 verse 18 all right um there is some question, like, why does he mention Jotham? Like, why, what's the deal with that king? Like, why is he mentioned there? We don't really know other than we know that uh, he came right after King Uzziah. Are you familiar with King Uzziah? He's mentioned in Isaiah chapter, tw- chapter 6. During Uzziah's reign, things were going pretty well. It was a good, prosperous, economic time frame for the people of Israel. Or, I'm sorry, of Judah. I said the wrong thing. so it can be confusing. It was a very prosperous time for the people of Judah. And then when Ahaz comes into power... Sometimes because of him and sometimes just because of the circumstances of the situation, there's a shift in how the history and culture of that time frame is going. It's a distinct turning point. So all of that to say, you're like, Alan, why are you telling me all this stuff? I think it's important for us to understand what Micah is preaching and teaching about. And also it helps us understand that Micah is speaking to a specific people at a specific time in a specific Situation, and so for us to understand how it applies to us today, we first need to understand to the best of our ability how it applied to the original listeners. Okay, there we go. Let's go to the next question: Who was the message originally delivered to? That answer is also in verse one. The next words in verse one says, "Which he talking about Micah? Which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem? Samaria is the capital of what? The northern." Samaria is the capital of the northern, which is also called Israel or Ephraim, right? Jerusalem is the capital of what? The southern, which is also called Judah. So whenever you see, here's another part of a prophet, whenever you see the capital city, oftentimes it's not just talking about the capital city, it's talking about the whole country. So when it says it's the words for Jerusalem and Samaria, it's not like, okay, nothing applies to the rest of the country. No, it's saying this is representative of the whole nation. So in other words, this message from Micah, uh, sorry, from God through Micah is delivered directly to both Israel and Ephraim as well as Judah. It lists Samaria first, so maybe Samaria is the most important one that receives the message. Actually, no. It's just in priority of how it takes place. In reality, more than likely, Micah 1, verse 2 through 9, is the only place where Samaria and Israel or Ephraim are addressed. And more than likely, everything after that is only addressed specifically to Judah. And yet, there are a few words to Samaria, and so that's why it's listed the way that it is. All right. So, um, there we go. That's all of verse 1. The last question that I'm asking is getting us ready for the rest of the series. And it's not answered directly in Michael 1.1, 1, 1, but rather this is kind of a preview, if you will, a trailer for where we're going. Here's the last question. The last question is, what are the main themes of the message? What are the main themes of the message? I'm going to ask the guys to go ahead and put the, um, the sermon logo up there, the one with all the words on it and stuff, because there we go. Thank you very much. There's the themes right there. All right? There are the themes I want us to look at it together. Leave it on the screen, but here are the themes. Judgment, sin, oppression, injustice, condemnation, indictment, corruption, false worship. Now let me pause for a second. If you're saying, oh, the theme is make sure you worship falsely. No, it's saying you're worshiping falsely, which is a wrong thing. When you worship falsely, then there's judgment. When you worship falsely, there is sin. When you oppress a people, that is sin. When that happens, you get indicted against. You are, there's judgment. So all of those things are going to reappear throughout the book of Micah over and over and over and over and over again. That's one reason why people don't like to read prophets, because they're like, oh my goodness, Like that's the bad news. I don't want to read the bad news. But to understand the good news, you have to understand the bad news, right? So then the good news, the theme that you see on the screen, these are all good. Salvation, hope, forgiveness, remnant, meaning there's a remnant of God's people that will continue to follow him even when others don't. Justice, we're challenged to walk humbly, We're to have mercy. There can be restoration, and that's possible through the Messiah. All of those are themes that will repeat themselves over and over and over and over again. To kind of take all of those words, though and nail it down a little bit more succinctly, maybe, or maybe not succinctly. But anyway, to help us understand it better, we're going to look back at the reference guide. So if you can put the second image, not the map, but the second image up that will have the comments. There we go, the recurring theme. You can see it's four four, uh, phrases there. The recurring theme is indictment for sin, a call for repentance, judgment of God's enemies, And then healing and restoration for those who repent. So let's leave that up there as we walk through it. Oh, one other thing. Look at the bottom, the units of Micah. You can see there's first cycle, second cycle, third cycle. In other words, there are three cycles where we see these themes repeat themselves. And so we're going to kind of look at them in sections. Chapters 1 and 2 are the first cycle. And then 3, 4, and 5 fit the second one. And then 6 and 7 finish the last one, okay? So here they are a little bit. Indictment for sin. God brings, in the book of Micah, formal charges against Judah for her sin. Indictment. That's a, like a legal proceeding. He is, he is judging them for their sins. Do you know what that judgment is? Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is what? Death. There's an indictment for the sin of God's people. And if they don't repent, there's destruction and fall and death my question for you my question for you is do you see the sin in your life my question for me is do i see the sin in my life you see if you have trusted in jesus as your lord and savior just as we celebrate with two men that got baptized today It is true that our sin is washed away, but the reality is we still can have sin in our life that is a hindrance to our relationship with God. And judgment is coming on that sin. Consequences, right? So my question is, are you able this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to acknowledge the specific sin or sins in your life that need to be repented of? Do you see sin in your life? The second part of this recurring theme is a call to repentance. Once we see our sin, we're to repent of our sin. And so what God does in the book of Micah is repeatedly call on his people to repent and turn from their sin. He doesn't just say, you're indicted for your sin and I can't wait to to blow you up and to smithereens. But rather he says, look at your sin and how far you are from me. Repent of your sins, turn from your sins and begin to follow me. So there's a call from God to his people to see their sin and as a result of that, to repent of their sin. He does the same thing for us today. If you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and he's asking you to see your sin and your need for a Savior, that you can't work for your salvation, but rather you have to trust in God's free grace, it's available to you in and through Jesus Christ and him alone. That Jesus died a death that you deserve. That he lived a life you couldn't live. That he went to the cross taking the weight of your sin and my sin upon his shoulders. That he died a punishment from God, receiving God's judgment and wrath for sin and willingly did so that if we would place our faith and our trust in him, we could experience forgiveness ourselves. See, Jesus went to the cross for our sin. He died was in a tomb for three days and was raised on the third day, overcoming sin and death in the grave. So if you trusted in Jesus for Savior as your Savior? Have you trusted in Him? Have you experienced your need for repentance for salvation? If you are a follower of Jesus, do you see your need to repent of sin even after salvation? Because that's a hindrance in your walk with Christ. So as it relates to this common uh, theme that comes throughout, do you see your need to repent of the sin that's in your life? The third recurring theme is judgment. If one does not repent of their sins, judgment comes. Judgment of God's enemies. I want you to hear me carefully here. It says judgment of God's enemies. Did you know that when Micah was preaching, he was primarily preaching to the people of God? He was primarily preaching to Israel and Judah. And so the people of God who claimed to be the people of God that were living a life of sin were actually the enemies of God because they weren't following God. And he's saying, judgment is coming your way. So my question for you is, do you understand that judgment comes for anyone who is opposed to God? Do you understand that God is a just God and that God must judge sin? And then we get to the great news. The theme that recurs over and over again is a healing and restoration is possible. Healing and restoration for those who humble themselves and repent. All throughout the book. Even while Mike is in the midst of saying, horrible judgment's coming, you're going to be exiled, these terrible things are coming, but if you'll turn to God. But if you'll turn to God, there is hope, healing, restoration, and you'll be back in your homeland He says over and over again, this is a message of hope. So as we read the book of Micah, and we read the coming judgment, perhaps on a given Sunday we might not get to the word hope very much, but on the next Sunday we might. The reality is that hope comes up over and over and over again. Where is this hope found? It's in Jesus and in Jesus Christ alone. He is our living hope. We sang that this morning, right? It's the name of this church family. We have a living hope. It's the Messiah. The Messiah would come, and he has come. His name is Jesus Christ. So my question for you in this portion is this. Have you experienced the healing and the restoration that comes through repentance and faith in Jesus alone? Yesterday, I sent out a text to everyone who's a member of our church, and hopefully you got it. And it basically was saying, guys, I'm praying for you. How can I pray specifically for you? And I, I got several answers. And, and I believe that the answers that I got from the folks were all hope-filled, trusting in Christ to provide for them. But I want to remind those of you that sent me that text and those that didn't, whatever you're facing in life, there is hope there is healing, there is deliverance, there is restoration, but that's only accessible by trusting in Jesus Christ. And so my question is, are you finding yourself hope-filled or hopeless? There is hope in Jesus. I want to encourage you to not just study Micah, To simply gain historical information, which it seems like maybe that's all we've done today, but it's not the intent. The intent is to lay a groundwork. Don't just gain historical information about the divided kingdom of Israel. Don't just try to understand the words that are found on the pages, but rather as we go through the book of Micah, as we see God's word as it's revealed to the original audience, may we see how then it applies to our lives. As we go through Micah, may you experience both the divine challenge and comfort of god if i were to kind of describe the the message of of mike i would say that there's both a divine challenge and a comfort found in god so the last thing i want to ask you before we respond with singing and giving of offerings and praying together is if mike is about a divine challenge and comfort what is god challenging you with today And where do you need to find comfort today? For some of us, the challenge that we may have today is you need to repent of your sin. You've lived in sin long enough, it's time to say yes to Jesus and trust in Him. There's those of you that are followers of Jesus, but there's a deep, dark, hidden, secret sin, and you need to confess that to Jesus. Others of you, the challenge you may be facing is you need to say yes for salvation today. Others of you, perhaps you've already said yes to salvation, but you've not said yes to baptism. And you need to say, sign me up for the next baptism. I'm ready to be baptized. Others of you, the challenge you may need to hear today is you've taken the membership class and you haven't taken the step of taking the, of becoming a member. We've got a membership class coming up next Sunday right after the service and maybe God's challenging you to jump in and be a part of that. Maybe the challenge is to share the gospel. Maybe the challenge is to stop following the pattern of the world. Maybe the next challenge is to use the obstacles you have faced in life to point others to the hope that's found in Christ. And then how do you need to be comforted today? I'm not going to list all the different possibilities because they could be endless. But if you need comforting today, find your comfort in Jesus. Hope in Him. Understand that forgiveness is available. Restoration is possible. Reconciliation can happen all through the hope and the comfort that is found in Christ. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And as I pray we'll be preparing our hearts to respond as the Lord leads us this morning. For some of us, you need to respond by coming to the altar and praying. Some of you need to come and pray with me. Some of you need to grab a friend and bring them to come pray with you. Some of you may need to grab your worship, uh, uh, your connection card. That's what I'm looking for, and mark a spiritual decision. Maybe you need to get out your phone and sign up for the membership class or for baptism. Maybe you need to sign up for a hope group. Whatever the Lord is leading you to do, say yes to that. We're going to have two songs of, of Uh, response the first one um, I'm available to pray with the second one I'm still available but that's when offering plates will be passed if you have something to drop there either your connection card or a giving envelope either one let me pray for us